and welcome to another episode of Control Alt Azure. This episode is sponsored by Solveto. Stay ahead of the game and advance your career with continuous learning opportunities for Azure cloud professionals. Solvetu, Eduhouse, learning as a lifestyle. Start your journey now on eduhousefi cloudpro. I'm Tobias, and I'm back again with UC. What's up? Hey, Tobias. I am on my first cup of coffee, so please be gentle with the content on today's episode. But more importantly, I've added running to my weekly exercises. So what I've been doing for, for about eight months now, I do the gym four times a week. Before that, I did three times a week. But I felt I needed more cardio or a, a sort of a different type of an exercise than, than what I do at the gym. And the gym is fairly tough, so it's taking most of my excess energy. But uh, it's been going quite well, so I enjoy going out in the evening, just leaving everything behind for 30 minutes. Go for an easy run, nothing spectacular, nothing against the clock. Just run for 30 minutes, think whatever, come home, the sauna is on, get in the, in the heated room, enjoy life. And I, I, I think I will continue like this for the coming weeks. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I related to the gym. I'd love to hear that you went from three times to four times. I think I also went from three times to four times looking at getting a gym membership, but I'm still only looking at it a couple of times a week, <laughs> and I never actually pulled the trigger on that. So what's up for me is I finally moved my plants from inside the house and my conservatory to the greenhouse, which is outdoors. So I'm just hoping now it doesn't get too cold during the nights uh, in the coming weeks. So I bought one of those frost guards which really keeps tabs on the temperature. And if the greenhouse temperature drops uh, below, I think in my case, I put it to five degrees Celsius, then it enables or turns on a small greenhouse heater or radiator. And that keeps the plants from just dying because some of these are very sensitive to the cold. The last year I didn't have that guard and I lost all the plants uh, due to freezing temperatures a single night. And, you know, I had cucumbers, herbs, uh, spices, tomatoes, all kinds of stuff. And I always start cultivating them pretty early from seeds. Everything is planted from a single seed in January and February. And then I've spent considerable time getting them in shape, cultivating them. And now they're ready to get into the greenhouse and they're already reaching the ceiling in the greenhouse, which is a, a pretty big greenhouse. So I'm hoping I don't let them die this year like I did last year. Cause that was a couple of months of hard work and cultivating them every single day for a few months only to uh, let the plants die overnight. So I'm, I'm hoping I will do better this year. Sounds, sounds awesome. I might again join on that plan, maybe next year, but this summer I will definitely work on the, on the yard, get that fixed up first. Um, alrighty, next up we have the community highlights. So things, content blogs, things that we've been reading in the past week or so. So we have a couple of items here and all of the, the content that, that we mentioned here will be linked in the show notes. So go and have a read. And first on the list is, is a blog from uh, Liam Cleary on the Raincore blog on Microsoft's Purview. And he goes through the risk and compliance setup and features and capabilities, as well as the governance solutions. This was eye-opening for me. Yeah, and the, the next one that I 
uh, found was from Scott Hanselman. He published a new blog post, and that's a new project that brings co-pilots uh, for the CLI. So there's a waitlist for that. So you need to check the link and sign up for that if you're interested. But essentially, a GitHub co-pilot for CLI and PowerShell, um, which is pretty interesting. So take a look at that. I, I found that to be a, a valuable resource, as always, coming from Scott. There's always good findings in, in his blogs. Good stuff. Uh, the next one and the last one for me is a blog from Greg Beaumont on the tech community on using Azure OpenAI Chat GPT to resolve cryptic error codes in those numerous Microsoft services. I think this is more, more related to Power BI, so seems super helpful. Yeah, and I saw that one as well, and I really love the the fact that it, it takes whatever error code, like if you spent a considerable time in working with these things, uh, you know that error codes may be you know, fairly cryptic and using ChatGPT, it, it's gonna kind of decode that for you. So I, I love that use of, of uh, OpenAI. And the, the final one on my list is from Graham Bray, and that's an Azure Monitor workbook that provides reporting on Azure AD password protection. And, and that's a blog post in the Microsoft Tech community. So we'll put that in the uh, show notes as well. Good stuff. So today's episode is about getting certified as a Microsoft Information Protection Administrator. So this would be the SC400 certification exam. And previously we've talked about how to get certified on SC200, SC300, SC100. The three main Microsoft security certifications. I think we did also one on AZ500 for Azure. And this was the last security related exam we really haven't talked about. So, Toby, top of mind for you, what do you think about SC400 at a high level? And is this something you've been thinking of perhaps doing in the future? Yeah, I, I really. Uh, really like this type of exam, uh, and and the the focus of this one is is pretty different from the ones I've done in the past. But I, I really like it because it's information protection. So it, it spans, I would say, perhaps Microsoft 365 and Azure. Because uh, if you if you run an Azure tenant, you usually have that connected to 365. If you run 365, you usually have that backed by an Azure tenant. So it kind of overlaps. But I, what I like about this one, it's it's focusing on information protection and stuff like DLP and and you know all the all the data you have in your environment and you know how do you manage risk and and what what about privacy and these things. Which if you're a regular listener to the show, you know I love compliance. I love talking about security, uh, being risk aware, uh, compliance, regulatory compliance, and and stuff like that. So so this falls in line with with my interests. So. Definitely goes on my bucket list. I haven't taken this one myself, but I think I'm pretty well prepared for it. I've taken a look at the study guides. I've taken a look at the prerequisites. So I, I think I'm fairly well prepared to tackle this one, but I'll let you know uh, how that goes. Good, good stuff. This is also something that I haven't done yet. I think I, I have all of the others in terms of security, but the SC400, I usually don't really work that much with compliance. Back in the day when we had, uh, was it called information rights management? And then it was called rights management services. It was running on top of Windows Server and then on on-premises SharePoint at some point. Then it transformed into Azure 
information protection AIP at some point. So I kept a fairly good tab on, on how things worked back at the time. But at some point when it, when it became Microsoft purview, everything, I sort of lost track on, on the individual pioneer services in there. And, and I think this exam would be optimal in really understanding what goes where, when do I use what, because there are so many capabilities in there. So for the content, uh, the intended audience is uh, administrators who plan and implement controls or compliance for organizational needs. And I think this is more geared for Microsoft 365 admins and perhaps slightly less for Azure admins who typically focus on everything Azure side. But as you said, they sort of interconnect behind the scenes. Have you had a look at the uh, at the study guide, what the requirements for this are? I have. I've taken a, a pretty good look at that. And uh, I think we can just go in order based on the study yep. guide and you know what what's in there and what's recommended. And about 25 to 30% of the exam will cover implementing information protection. So coming back to information protection and, and how uh, you can create and manage sensitive info types, what that means, create and manage trainable classifiers. And if you work with these things, you're going to recognize all of these things. If you haven't, if you don't know what any of these things means, like a trainable classifier, how to retain and test and design and identify those, you know, the study guide will tell you, here's what you need to know in order to be able to pass that exam. It also talks, the section about implementing information protection talks about uh, implementing and managing sensitivity labels. So you can configure auto-labeling policies for a sensitivity label and yeah, general management and configurations of sensitivity labels, you know, using uh, Microsoft Purview information protection scanner to apply bulk classifications to on-prem data and stuff like that. So pretty interesting stuff, um, again, on, on data protection and, and information protection. It also covers designing and implementing encryption for email messages. So that comes back to what you mentioned about being more focused on 365. Uh, you can design email encryption solutions uh, based on methods available in Microsoft 365. And that also talks about implementing Microsoft Purview message encryption and uh, Microsoft Purview advanced message encryption. So all these capabilities are rolling up to the implementing information protection section. That again is about 25 to 30% of this exam. So a lot of that stuff covers like, how do I protect my data? What do I need to do in, in my organization, in my 365 and or Azure to make sure that I stay safe and that my organization stays safe. So like make sure you take the actions on behalf of your organization to protect the data. So every individual user does not have to think about that themselves. So um, an important kind of section to set the, the boundaries and, and set the like level expectations on information protection. And the next one on, on that main list of topics and content that will be covered in the exam is implementing DLP, data loss prevention. So it's about creating the policies, the permissions, and, and understanding how the policies work. Also on Defender for Cloud Apps, which is an interesting addition to this, this topic. Monitoring the endpoint DLPs, and endpoint here meaning devices. How do you onboard devices for DLP settings? And how do you monitor the activities? 
and lastly for creating DLP reports and, and analyzing any sort of DLP related activities that the users are doing. And again, it has plenty of Defender for Cloud Apps bits, which I feel is more aligned again with Microsoft 365, but you typically configure these to connect with maybe Microsoft Sentinel, Defender for Cloud to get the big picture in place on this. So implementing DLP is about 15 to 20% of the content of the exam. All right, and the, the kind of next high level section that the exam talks about is implementing data lifecycle and records management. And that's only 10 to 15%. And this brings back memories from the days of MOS 2007, which was Microsoft Office SharePoint Server 2007, where you had records management. Luckily, that's not what we're talking about in this section. So here we talk about retaining and deleting data by using retention labels. So you can really plan for information retention um, using retention labels, and you're going to learn how to use them, uh, how to create them, configure and manage adaptive scopes, configure a retention label policy, so you can publish labels, configure a retention label policy to auto-apply labels and stuff like that. So you can really automate some of this stuff in your organization. It also talks about uh, managing data retention in 365 workloads. So that's about uh, creating and applying retention policies for Microsoft SharePoint Online, OneDrive, Microsoft 365 Groups, Teams, Yammer, Exchange Online, uh, as you can hear, all the 365 workloads. You can also apply mailbox holds in Exchange Online. Uh, it talks about implementing Exchange Online archiving policies. So a, a lot of stuff about managing data retention and how is that supposed to work? How long does the data need to be stored? How long does the emails need to be stored? How long is a Teams message going to be stored? Uh, and what is the retention policy going to look like for that? Uh, and then also recover retained content in Microsoft 365, which of course is important if you enable data retention, then you need to understand how do you recover retained content in 365 whenever that is applicable to you. And then the, the final kind of area in this section is implementing Microsoft Purview records management. And here is how you create and configure retention labels for record management specifically. So previously it was about retention policies and this is about record management. So manage retention labels by using a file plan, including file plan descriptors, classify records, manage events, uh, event-based retention, managing and dis you know the disposition, disposition, if you will, of content in records management. So all of those things roll up to Microsoft Purview and the Microsoft Purview records management. So that's something that if you're not familiar with Microsoft Purview records management, it's a good thing to take a look at that. But remembering that this entire section is only about 10 to 15% of the total questions of the exam. So the, the recap, the section name was implementing data lifecycle and records management. And the next section is similar to that one because this is also 15 to 20% on monitoring and investigating data and activities using Microsoft Purview. And as you can probably tell, if it's only about 15 to 20%, these are fairly high level questions that you're going to be facing in the exam. So there's going to be compliance manager and I think a lot of people in the EU region, they got to know Compliance Manager back in the day when we got GDPR. So you would open Compliance Manager in hopes 
that it would help you understand what do I need to do again? Help me figure this out. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of things. Should I do something? And then there's e-discovery. I always felt that's a bit too US centric and it hasn't been hasn't been too flexible for local customers in, in my experience. Content search on that one, as well as all of the audit logs and reports. So it's a little bit of everything on a high level uh, so far. So I wouldn't be too stressed out if you don't know the ins and outs of every possible Microsoft purview capability, because this exam sort of has all the leftovers from the SC100, 200, and 300, and AZ500, and MS500 exams. And that's mostly Microsoft purview bits. Did we still have something left in the in the in the content? Yeah. So there's also the managed insider risk and privacy risk in Microsoft 365, which is about 15 to 20 percent. I love this section. It's talking about implementing and managing Microsoft Purview communication compliance. Uh, so you can plan for communication compliance and whatever that means for you and your organization. You can create and manage communication compliance policies and then of course investigate and remediate communication compliance alerts and reports so whenever something is breaking the rules so if, if you set up a policy that this is how communication should work within our organization and a compliance policy gets uh, flagged or alerts then you can dive into the reports and investigate all right where are we kind of breaking the compliance policy so i really like that and and all of this is supported by microsoft purview so we also have implementing and managing Microsoft Purview Insider Risk Management. I absolutely love this section as well. It's talking about planning for insider risk management, creating and manage insider risk management policies. You know, how do you manage insider risk cases, managing forensic evidence settings, uh, manage notice templates. So, I mean, insider risk, it's something we talk about in a lot of areas. Also, when you talk about regulatory compliance, it's a pretty big thing. And talking about zero trust, everything is talking about insider risk one way or, or the other, because risk can happen a lot from the inside, accidentally or not. So the more kind of rules and plans and strategies you have for defining policies and how data should and can be used, um, you know, the lower the risk for insider uh, kind of data leaks or stuff like that. This section also talks about implementing and managing Microsoft Purview information barriers. So if, or IBs, and if you have worked with uh, these things before, uh, like if you worked with DLP, if you've been working on setting up some uh, kind of data and compliance policies in your organization before Microsoft Purview, then you also recognize information barriers because you can use those. I know uh, I use them at some point for Microsoft Teams saying, hey, we, we have, information barriers um, where we can configure Microsoft Teams or SharePoint Online or OneDrive, where you can enforce an information barrier uh, saying that communication from here cannot flow over to there. So you can set kind of where information are allowed. So you can have multiple parties involved in your team's tenant, but then you have barriers between different groups or different uh, types of entities coming into your to your tenant, and you can like create information barriers. Because oftentimes you hear, oh, well, we don't want to allow people into our teams because they might get access to stuff. That's why you have Microsoft Purview information barriers. So you can really plan for your information barriers and, and to uh, like secure your, your data this way as well. So I, I really like that. So the exam covers a bit of that. 
And finally, it also covers implementing and managing privacy requirements by using Microsoft Priva uh, or Priva. Priva, I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Uh, it's pretty new. Um, so like configuring and maintaining privacy risk management, uh, creating and managing privacy risk management policies, identifying and monitoring potential risks involving personal data. So you can kind of track down things and, and check the, the monitoring logs and stuff like that. And then of course, evaluating and remediating any alerts and issues that flows up and then just implement and manage subject rights requests. So pretty, pretty cool stuff. There's a lot that happened in this area. So a lot of these things are like they're they're getting an upgrade regularly. And I know also like I'm, we'll put the link to the study guide in, in the show notes. And there's a change log where you can see, um, you know, before June the 1st, 2023, it's measuring certain things. But then after June 1st, 2023, there's going to be a few changes on the exam, some minor, um, some major so it's uh, something that you just should keep an eye on because it's it's going to be changing a, a little bit. Uh, but everything we talked about just now is what's going to be happening from June 1st, 2023 onwards. So if you tagged along here, everything we talked about so far is what's going to be on the exam from June 1st, 2023 and onwards. So that's kind of the updated exam. If you do take the exam before June 1st, 2023, there's going to be a little bit changes uh, for some of the content, but you will be able to see exactly what that is if you go to the link in the show notes and you check out the study guide. Because from Microsoft, they outline before June 1st, this is what we're going to cover. After June 1st, that's what we're going to cover. So yeah, I, I think those are the, the areas of content that's covered by the exam. Uh, is there anything else we need to be aware of? So good point highlighting the changes in June. So if you're planning on doing the exam, uh, there's not a huge difference if you do it right now when you're listening on this episode fresh or after June 1st. But keep in mind that there's going to be more Microsoft purview content. I like that Microsoft is sort of more on top of the game now because back in the day, you would do an exam and it would be two years old. So they would ask stuff that was relevant two years ago, but it's not relevant today any longer. And it was tough to understand, well, you're asking specifically about Azure SQL capabilities. So are you referring to which update of that specific <laughs> service, depending on when the question was done? Yeah. Um, so if you want to study for this, you can do the self-paced content and that's available on Microsoft Learn. It is free. It's nine hours of content, but I, I think it takes you less to go through, depending on, on how fast you can ingest and digest all of the information. Or you can do a classroom delivery, which is usually just two days, but obviously you're going to pay for that as well. So sometimes people ask me, if I do the self-paced content, how do I get the labs? Well. You get the lab instructions. They are on GitHub, and we'll also put the link on that into the show notes. But since you're probably starting with a trial tenant or a sandbox environment where you can play around, you have to build whatever the lab is expecting to exist before you actually get to the actual content. So if the lab is asking you to configure Defender for Cloud Apps for something, you have to 
allocate the license, you have to spin up the service, you have to do whatever is required before you actually get to use the service. But I feel that's that's actually an advantage because it forces you also to learn how do I set these things up? Because if you get a ready-made lab environment, everything works and you don't really know what was done before you arrived there and just started configuring something on top of them. Yeah, and and that's a great point. And, and doing labs is how I mainly learn things as well. When I was a trainer, I did classroom training for a lot of things for many years. And the best way to learn was to do all the classroom labs and then kind of yeah, work out the the kings around them, figure out what works, what doesn't work, and get the hands-on experience. That's the best way for me to learn. Now, another thing that was recently announced from Microsoft is practice assessments for Microsoft certifications. So I, I'll put a link in the show notes to that as well. The SC400 is not yet available in that list, but it's coming soon. And there's a note saying we'll be launching practice assessments for other exams soon. So whatever the timeline for that is, I do not know. But there's a good list. I think there's about 20 already covered, including SC200, SC900. There's AC500, like for, for security stuff. And what that is, it's a practice exam, which is like 50 questions or so. It helps you be prepared. It's free. You can just choose the alignment with whatever exam content you want to practice on. And then you get fairly realistic kind of questions. So I, I think those are pretty good. So if you go to your exam, you will also find take a free practice assessment and you can do that and jump into those questions. The questions might differ. They will differ from the actual exam. So it's not one of those brain dumps or whatever you call them where people just put all the real question and answers. And that's why I think this is a benefit because this truly helps you understand if you are prepared for the knowledge that is required to reach uh, you know, the bar for, for achieving that certification. So if you manage to, without problem, pass the uh, test or practice assessment, then you're pretty well equipped to, to try the actual exam as well. It's not a guarantee that you will pass it. It depends on how you how you do things. So if you just memorize the questions in the practice assessment and you do it 30 times, it's not going to help you. But if you understand the content of that and wherever you have an incorrect answer, if you go check out the links, when you get an incorrect answer, it's going to give you a link saying, here's where you can learn more about this specific thing. And then you can learn why that was an incorrect answer. So that's also a really good interactive way to test your knowledge. And what I love about that is you can self-identify your gaps in your knowledge. So if you do that and you have 10 questions that you got wrong, you can take a look at those, follow the links, read a little bit on, on that and better understand uh, you know the the concept of um, whatever that question was about. So um, a good new resource from Microsoft, the practice assessments for Microsoft certifications, not yet available for this one, uh, but hopefully coming pretty soon. Good stuff. I don't personally, I don't really use the practice practice exams myself because I feel that when I already have the information perhaps through labs, it's also the main way for me to learn. When I have enough knowledge or I'm confident enough, I will just go and do the exam in hopes that I will pass. Uh, the the exam fee in, in the US is $165. I think that excludes taxes. In the EU, 165 euro. 
and depending on whereabouts you're going to be, it might be slightly different, but that sort of is the base fee for the exam. And you can do that remotely, or you can visit a test center to do it uh, in a classroom. And in my experience, the exams are usually the same, about 50 questions in total, and you need to get 70% correct in order to pass. And once you pass the exam, you're going to be earning the Microsoft Certified Information Protection Administrator Associate certification. But this is sort of a standalone one. It doesn't build on anything else. So previously we talked about SC200. It builds your path to SC100. But SC400 is a standalone. It doesn't really yield anything else than this specific certification. Alrighty, I, I think we've convinced enough people to do the exam, perhaps <laughs> after June 1st, 2023. I'll probably, or most definitely, I will prep for this as well. It, it looks doable for sure, because there's not a lot of content. There's plenty of services, but it's just nine hours of content. And I did check on GitHub, it's about 14 labs. So you can spend a day or two fiddle, fiddle with those, then go and do the exam and you should be good. Yeah, I, I think that sounds good. I, I really, really like the topics here because it, it's less, hey, here's how you set up a firewall. Here's how you configure this policy. There's a lot of hands-on, but more taking a step back, looking at the overall risk uh, that your organization faces and how, how to set up the right policies, how to set up like mitigating risk, if you will. So I, I absolutely love the focus of this one. Good stuff. Alrighty, that was, I think, everything we had on the exam. The last bit is the unexpected question. Toby, I think it's going to be your turn to ask me. Yeah, so I, I have a question here I've been thinking about a lot. So what is something that is really popular today, but in five years, everyone will look back and be embarrassed by it? Alrighty, this is unexpected. If you think back five years from today, so we are recording this in May 2023. So five years ago was 2018. That was pre-COVID. And I think what was really popular at the time was, was to do meetings face-to-face. -face. You would travel to a different country for a two-hour meeting, and that felt normal. But five years from now, that will be 2028, if I can, can do math correctly today. I'm I'm done with my first cup of coffee, so I think I'm good. <laughs> Five years from now, what people will be embarrassed by, I'm inclined to say the metaverse, but I think even today, people are slightly embarrassed by that one because it didn't really pan out as expected. Perhaps it will, but as of now, no. But what I really think is text boxes where you type manually, you type your prompt to a generative AI engine to get something back. It feels awesome now. It's as if it's magic. But five years from now, I think we're thinking, why did we ever do that typing by hand? I'm fairly <laughs> certain there's going to be more automation on that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good answer. It's going to be interesting. In five years, we'll connect back in an episode and see if you were right. Excellent. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. All right. See you then.